Hey friends, welcome to the Love Intently podcast, where each week I bring you relationship experts, inspiring couples, and first-class relationship thought leaders from around the world. I'm on a mission to explore what exactly makes love last and to empower a generation to have strong relationships. I'm your host, Sophie Kwok, the chief love enthusiast who believes that relationships are the most important part of our lives. And if you're looking to build a stronger relationship or to take a proactive approach towards love, loveintently.com hosts an array of articles, podcasts, resources, and love tips to help you build and keep strong relationships. I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. Hi friends, can I start this episode by saying how grateful I am for every one of you. It really takes a tribe to raise an entrepreneur and to start a business and a movement and I am just so, so, so grateful and thankful to have every one of you be a part of the Love Intently journey and tribe. Today's episode is a unique one that we're talking with Clay Olson from Fight the New Drug. We do talk a little bit about content that might not be the most appropriate for children, so if you have kids with you, you might want to listen later. Fight the New Drug is a non-religious, non-legislative organization that exists to provide individuals with the opportunity to make informed decisions regarding porn by raising awareness on its harmful effects by using science, facts, and personal accounts. Today, we talk about the science behind the effects of pornography on our relationships, intimacy, and society. Fight the New Drug is a global movement that has over 3 million followers. They've been featured on CNN, NPR, Time, The Washington Post, and New York Times, just to name a few. And I personally have heard many stories of how porn addiction ruined or almost ruined marriages and relationships. And I am also just personally really passionate about fighting human trafficking, domestic violence, or sex crimes. And according to the FBI, it's reported that 80% of violent sex crimes had pornography present. And it's not surprising that 88% of the most popular scenes in porn has physical aggression or verbal harm towards women. In this episode, Clay breaks down how pornography impacts our society and the way we love and how to bring up a conversation in a relationship and how to overcome porn addiction. But he also shares his crazy yet hilarious story of how he met his wife and how he got them on their first date. Let's just say that involved him hacking the school system. I absolutely loved getting to know and to talk to Clay, and I think you'll find our conversation very interesting as well, as this is a topic that we don't talk about very often, but it's having an effect on us, and I think it is so important for us to be intentional and aware of the types of things that we consume and how it impacts us. So without further ado, here's my incredible conversation with Clay. Hi, Clay. Welcome to the Love Intently podcast. It is such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So before we get started, I'd love to hear a little bit about you and your background. Yeah. So um, I currently live in Salt Lake City, Utah, and uh, love the mountains and uh, spending time with my family. Uh, I have uh, a wife of uh, nearly, well, nine years now and uh, two daughters and one on the way, about three weeks away. So um, we're a small little family and, and, uh, and, uh, we, we love it here and we love, uh, spending time in the mountains and, and spending time with, together. Uh, one of, one of my passions, uh, personally is, uh, is doing whatever I can to, to help uh, promote, you know, love and, and relationships. And that's why I'm really glad to be here on this podcast because it's definitely uh, something I am passionate about. Do you remember a moment when you knew your wife was kind of the one you wanted to be with? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. So our relationship story is a little interesting in that, uh, when I first saw her, um, uh, I, I knew immediately that I wanted to get to know her better. Right. I, I in fact, I was on a date with another girl at the time <laughs> and I saw her across the way and I had to be very careful as you might imagine on how to maybe, uh, get enough information from this, this individual, this new individual who's now my wife so that I could maybe, you know, reach out later on without giving any sort of indication that I was interested. It was, it was a tricky moment, but I got it. 
And I reached out to her and we dated for uh, a year and uh, went off a little bit and then came back together. And then it was history after that. Okay. So rewind. How did you navigate that exact situation when you were on a date and you saw this woman across the room that you knew was special? Well, so I, when I saw her, she looked somewhat familiar and I could not place her, but I, she was, you know, I felt like she was just drop dead gorgeous. And, and uh, the person I was on a date with, it was a great individual. And I really enjoyed her and she was a lot of fun. Uh, she wasn't my girlfriend. This was a first date. And so we were in line and I, uh, we were close enough to where I, we kind of made eye contact a couple of times, me and my now wife. And, uh, and she, which is very uncharacteristic of her, she got out of line uh, and came up to me and said, um, and then before she said anything, I said, where do I know you from? And she said, well, uh, I think we've seen each other on campus and we, we both attended the same university, which we were not in that city at the time. So that was kind of a shock. So anyway, it, it kind of led to me just getting her name and her last name. And then I went on a wild goose chase after that, trying to find an email address, a phone number, anything to try to... Uh, to try to you know connect those dots. So did you use Facebook or how did you ultimately connect the dots there? Well, a friend of mine, uh, I was, I was, uh, well, I, you know, we, I had a friend that was pretty good at uh, just hacking uh, systems. So he actually went on to the university website, found an email address <laughs> and I reached out to her. She never responded to that email address. And so I was kind of thinking maybe it was, it was done, but uh I, I, one last ditch effort. I, I, uh, found out that she had, we had a mutual friend and I called him and said, do you have her number? And he did. So I, out of the blue gave her a call and she didn't answer. This is kind of crazy. I gave her a call. She didn't answer. And I thought to myself, well, she'll call back, but you know, you don't call back a number you didn't, you don't know. It's not like in your contacts, but I, in my mind, I thought, oh, she'll call back. Sure enough. Uh, 10 minutes later, I get a call from her and I'm thinking, of course, she's calling me back. I answer and immediately she hangs up. I'm thinking, whoa, what was that? She'll call me back. And, and she did come to find out she was on the phone with her hairdresser and got disconnected. So she went to missed calls accidentally instead of outgoing calls. And she calls me because I was a missed call. And then as soon as she heard a male voice, she hangs up. Um, and then she was flustered, goes to outgoing calls, which was again, me because she had just called me. So then she calls me again the second time. And, uh, and that kind of, she's like, okay, who, who is this? And I'm like, Hey, I'm the guy that we just met, you know? And she's like, oh yes. And then I asked her out and yeah, again, history. Oh my gosh. That is hilarious. How many yeah. dates in before you told her you hacked the system to get her email? <laughs> Yeah, I waited a little while for that. I, I wanted to kind of get a little better foundation before I brought that up. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a pursuit if I've ever heard of one. <laughs> well, I would love to hear more about the amazing, incredible movement that you were a part of founding and the inspiration behind it and what, why you are so passionate about fighting the new drug. Yeah, so uh, nearly 10 years ago while I was still in college, you know, Right before I actually met um, met Jen, my wife, um, I, I was with uh, a few of my closest friends, and we were having a, a fairly deep conversation about some of the challenges that our generation was facing. And uh, a topic kept on kind of coming up to the surface, and that was the topic of pornography. And so this this was we started to discuss it, not in a "Hey, check this out," "Hey, you should go," you know, uh, see this video or this magazine. It was much more like this is it, you know, is this having a real impact on us? It seems to be having a huge impact on our generation. It seems to be impacting us like no generation before us. And, and we wanted to understand that better. So that led us down this path of researching it, talking to experts, understanding this issue. And it kind of like, it's as if we like kind of pulled back the curtain a little bit and saw just an enormous um, challenge or like a, a tidal wave of, of harm coming our way. And we we're like, we had a, why aren't we talking about this as a society? Why, why aren't we educated as young people um, about some of these challenges or, or issues uh, so that we can make educated decisions, just like we do with other uh, challenges like drugs and tobacco and alcohol? There, there are campaigns, uh, curriculums, uh, educational assemblies to help you understand those and navigate those decisions. And we thought, why aren't there conversations around this? Because it's impacting 
not only individuals, but relationships in society. So once we kind of stumbled into that, uh, it kind of uh, led us to, to make the decision, which was, uh, we had no idea what we were really making a decision for at that time because we were pretty naive, but we thought, why don't we start a campaign to educate young people, not through a moralistic kind of you shouldn't or you know, a, a wagging a finger approach, but rather uh, more of a peer-to-peer, science-based, kind of uh, positively focused uh, campaign to educate young people on this, on this issue. And that started Fight the New Drug. And um, that was nearly 10 years ago now. And we since have, you know, we have uh, um, been around the world educating uh, hundreds of thousands of youth. Uh, um, uh, I just got back from Nepal and we have presenters now in, in many parts of the world that are certified and they're delivering um, content and curriculum to help people navigate this, uh, to make, again, more educated decisions. Mm. Wow. Can you share some of the science and research behind how pornography impacts us in our relationships? So, yeah. So the, um, when we go out and speak to uh, particularly youth, but any uh, group that we speak to, um, we, we kind of uh, take all the research that's coming out and that has come out and we put it into three main camps. Uh, one is that pornography has been shown, in fact, 40 out of the last 40 uh, neurological studies that have come out of institutions like the Max Planck Institute of Human Development out of the out of Berlin, uh, uh, Yale, uh, out of uh, Cambridge. You know these institutions have found that pornography, exposure to pornography, particularly continuous exposure to pornography, can actually impact the brain um, in similar ways that drugs uh, and other type of addictive uh, patterns and behaviors can impact the brain. And so we're learning that, that there is a, a true compulsion, a true and many you would even use the term addiction when it comes to pornography. So that can impact an individual. But it's, it goes well beyond that. That's one of the categories is the neurological impact. The next category is the relationships, the heart. Uh, studies are showing that individuals that consume pornography regularly actually have less satisfaction in real relationships. Their desire to pursue and participate in and pay attention to actual real relationships diminishes as their appetite for more pornography and more online uh, material increases. Because again, pornography never says no. Pornography doesn't have to wake up early in the morning. Pornography is always new. Pornography is exactly what you need to be. It's always focused on you and not the other. It's very uh, easy. So, so individuals, they've proven this scientifically through uh, a, a number of studies looking at longitudinal effects, that their satisfaction with relationships declines or decreases. And so that impacts the ability to love. In fact, when we're talking about the heart, the second category, we often say that pornography impacts what we love, how much we love, how we think about those we love, and how we even express love. And, and we can dive into that if, if we want. But uh, before I do that, uh, the, the final category is our world. Uh, uh, pornography has been shown to, to have major influences into a number of uh, societal and uh, social and cultural challenges that we face today. Uh, um, been shown to, to fuel the demand for trafficking, sex trafficking, and other types of challenges that we face. So, so when you put all this together into one kind of narrative, it starts to kind of open your mind to say, okay, this is no longer simply the, the harmless pastime that I once thought it was. Um, you put all those puzzle pieces together and you start to see that there's a real true cost to pornography in our culture and particularly into relationships. Well, yeah, there's so much there and I'd love to just sit with you and unpack that a little bit. And, and I think even on the, on all three of those aspects is exactly why I think this conversation is so important because I think it is, you're right. Like there's this free will and every person can make that decision for themselves, but can we make more informed decisions and really understanding the impacts of this? Because, um, similar to even sugar addiction before, you know, tens or 20 years ago, we had no idea how sugar was impacting us, but now we see how it impacts our health over a long period of time. And I think pornography is a great example of something else that we have kind of turned a blind eye to. Yeah. And, and part of that is because, you know, um, the internet came around about 20 years ago. And so um, before that, we were talking about bare-chested women in cornfields. So pornography has been around for a long time, but the level of impact, uh, the level of, of access 
uh, and the level of, you know, the type of material that is being consumed has evolved so dramatically and so quickly that, uh, that we're just now from, you know, from a scientific and academic perspective, kind of catching up to recognize, okay, what are the implications of that amount of exposure, that type of exposure that to that type of content and material, which has evolved dramatically. Um, 80, a study by uh, NYU and the University of Arkansas found that 88% of the most popular uh, scenes in porn films, so the most popular films, they, they, they analyzed all those films, and they found that 88% of the scenes contained physical violence and aggression and verbal aggression toward women. So how is this shaping our sexuality? How is this shaping over time as we consume this at unprecedented levels? How is this shaping the way we even look at uh, those we care about? or define things like love and intimacy. Uh, so um, uh, there, there's a lot coming out on this, and there's a lot that has already come out, and it's really painting a picture that's really compelling and shocking. And again, like you're saying, making a step back a little bit and say, okay, um, what, what is really going on here? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how pornography impacts males and females differently, or if there is a difference? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to the neurological impacts, there are, there's uh, very little difference uh, to the actual brain processes we're talking about uh, that uh, as pornography is consumed through the eyes, that it releases a, a, a series of chemicals into the reward center of the brain right behind the prefrontal cortex. And, and you know, that those chemicals like dopamine, epinephrine, oxytocin, serotonin, they, f- they flood that reward center of the brain. And over time, your brain builds up a dependency to that level of release, that context of release. And over time, it can actually start to influence and rewire the brain, uh, which, will, which also kind of rewires the arousal and sexual template uh, of that individual over time and how they perceive those around them. So that process is the same for male and female. However, the type of content or how people, the, kind of the, the pathway in to that type of compulsive pattern or addiction uh, can, can differ quite a bit. For a long time, the, the industry, the pornography industry, uh, focused exclusively on male desires and interests. And, uh, and therefore, um, the, the, uh, the challenges among men were through the roof and among women, not so much because, again, it really didn't appeal. Uh, male, uh, the male uh, desire is far more visually focused and a lot more to the point. And the females are more, it's more story driven, much more kind of, they want to kind of understand and have that emotional and relationship bond uh, before they engage in that kind of intimate uh, act or, 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 uh, or experience. So uh, the pornography industry recognized this discrepancy and they said that we're missing out on a huge demographic. And so they started to co- create content that was more story-driven, more emotionally focused, more female-focused, and they started to see a spike uh, in, in, in participation in females. Um, and, and sometimes that they would introduce that and, and, uh, through literature uh, because they felt like that was kind of a, a pathway and, again, more that emotion. So although, although the pathways are different uh, for males and females in, what we see over time as that compulsion continues among those individuals is that the, the, the kind of material they start to, to – to be drawn to actually starts to converge and starts to come to uh, to be very similar. We find that in, uh, females that report having uh, compulsion or addiction to this um, start to uh, be more accepting or more willing or more desirous of uh, pornography that uh, demeans them, that uh, is as aggressive toward them and whatnot, which is a really interesting phenomenon to kind of see uh, um, the impact of pornography over time on one's sexuality. Wow. Yeah. I can, I feel like that's such an important conversation to have even around the Me Too movement and all the things that have come out recently of, of even saying it does porn or how does porn play a role in, in how we are more accepting or have been more accepting to this violence or how it plays a role in the violence that's happening in our lives today. Yeah. And there are a number of studies uh, touching on those very points where, where, uh, Again, individuals that view pornography consistently or regularly uh, do have a, a you know, are, are more open to and more accepting of uh, uh, individuals that act out in, in violent ways. They they are more lenient to situations that involve abuse or a, 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 a blurring of consenting lines or rape, um, and so it a- absolutely has profound social impacts um, as we look at this 
um, on a broader scale from how we're how we're treating um, you know, rapists, how we're treating treating and 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 uh, how we're sentencing some of these crimes as as we collectively are more accepting and willing to embrace some of these challenges. We love the Me Too movement and what they represent, and it's a kind of a manifestation of what we're seeing in our culture of, of, of individuals, particularly in high power and celebrity status, how they uh, feel they have the ability and the, the, uh, the, the green light, if you will, to act out in ways that, that uh, are completely inappropriate. And, and many of them report saying, well, that line of consent kind of gets blurred over time as they view content, which is very much... Um, abusing those lines of consent in pornography, those lines are broken down and thrown out the window as they kind of engage in ways that uh, that would be extremely inappropriate in any natural and normal context, and that has an impact. That has an impact, of course. Mm. Wow, um, I would love to take a step back a little bit on more of the heart section. You mentioned the breakdown of how pornography impacts type of relationships we pursue, and um, yeah, I, I was wondering if you could touch base a little bit on the steps that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, so we talked about uh, pornography impacting what we love, how much we love, how we think about those we love, and how we express love. So, uh, if we kind of start off on that first one, uh, what we love. Uh, Norman Deutsch, who's a, a, a very famous author, speaker, researcher, scientist. He, he in his, uh, wrote a book called The Brain That Changes Itself. And he talks about this process of neuroplasticity and how the brain is constantly changing based on what we consume on a, reg- on a regular basis. And that's really great if we're pursuing and, and engaging in things that are helpful and expansive and knowledge-promoting. But as we engage that same neurological process, that same neuroplastic process applies when we're doing things that are like less valuable and helpful. And as individuals consume pornography, it can actually reshape their arousal or sexual template. Now, what that means is basically what someone finds attractive or what, find, what they find desirous. Um, studies have shown that, again, that as they consume this more aggressive and violent content, that their desires for more extreme content uh, uh, will will take them down those paths. Uh, individuals, their brain kind of uh, works off of novelty, new, uh, constant. You know, our brains like to, to kind of be uh, surprised and shocked. And so as what was once, uh, you know, attractive and interesting becomes less so, and our brain seeks out that next level. Pornographers have been quoted as saying, we don't know where to go next uh, the, the demand for further and further, more aggressive and more hardcore continues to expand mm-hmm. based on this process of needing that and wanting that. So, so it can actually, actually, and quite literally change what we love, what we once found attractive and desirous and, and, and what we once found to be our love can evolve over time. The more we consume this content, going back to our conversation about um, the, our satisfaction levels decline, decreasing. So that's what we love. It can, um, you know, and I just mentioned this, it can impact how much we love. Uh, it, you know, as, as we, uh, studies show that individuals that consume pornography regularly uh, can end up over time preferring the pixels to people, preferring the, 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 the ease of pornography where I don't have to ask permission and there's no chance of rejection and all these other things um, where the ease of pornography and, 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 you know, the idea of having to engage in a real relationship and, and and go through that it's kind of uh, less it becomes less uh, desirous over time individuals of view pornography will say no 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 no. i'm always i i love but, but this is just like to fill in the gaps or whatever but what we find is that looking at long term we see that uh that the impacts of pornography really swing uh an individual's uh uh satisfaction with their relationship their their appearance the overall relationship uh, uh, as a whole so it can impact uh, how much we love. How we think about those we love, this is, this is going to the very core, basic principle of how pornography impacts uh, uh, the way we view others. Uh, objectification. Uh, pornography is, uh, really promotes this idea of objects. In fact, a study was conducted where they actually did brain scans of, the, of individuals that viewed pornography. And the part of the brain that lit up as individuals viewed pornography and engaged with that was the part of the brain that dealt with objects, not humans. And so, it, and the more we dehumanize an individual, the more uh, the easier it is for us to act out violently or act out in ways that are again uh, inappropriate or, or unacceptable. And so, 
so it can impact how we view people, turning everybody into kind of like a, uh, an object to be used rather than an individual to be uh, loved and, and you know cared for. Um, and then this is an interesting one. It can impact uh, how we express love. Now, if you can probably like connect the dots and say, well, if all those other things are true, of course that's going to impact how we express mm -hmm. love. But it goes beyond that. Studies now, many studies are coming out showing. Um, in fact, let me uh, tell you tell you this. In 1992, um, so. This is uh, essentially pre-internet, 1992, uh, because most people started to get the internet in their households, in their homes, in the, in the mid-90s to even late-90s. For my parents, it was last year. But no, for most people, I'm just kidding. For most people, <laughs> in the 90s, right? So um, this was pre-internet. A study by the, uh, the National Health and Wellness Association in 1992 found, as they uh, studied uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of, of males, uh, they found that individuals, uh, that only 5% of individuals of uh, uh, 18 to uh, 59 experienced some level of sexual dysfunction, 5%. So that's not super surprising. So se sexual dysfunction, when we say that, we mean like a, a lowered libido, so sex drive, or a erectile dysfunction. Okay, so 5%. Uh, if you're talking about you know, 18 to 59, that, that's not a shocking number. It sounds about right. That was in 1992. Uh, in, 2000 and, uh, uh, in, in 2012, another, another study was conducted, and they found that 23% of men uh, were experiencing some level of sexual dysfunction. Uh, which was a huge jump. And in 2015, uh, they did another study and they found that 53.5% of men ages, ages 16 to 21, they didn't even go from the old, old, uh, older registers, 16 to 21 were experiencing some level of sexual dysfunction. Dr. Morgenthaler, uh, Abraham Morgenthaler from the uh, Harvard Medical School, he said that it's, it's, uh, uh, that it's hard to know exactly how many young men are suffering from porn-induced ED. So they call it P. IED, porn-induced ED, uh, but it's, it's clear that this is a new phenomenon and that it's not rare. Millions upon millions of young men in their prime are finding themselves, it, finding it difficult to get aroused uh, with an actual, uh, you know, physical sexual experience as, uh, as opposed to with pornography. What, what's interesting about some of, these, some of this research is that they don't have a hard time getting aroused when pornography is involved, they have a, they can they can. It's not like their 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 uh, their desire in uh, in sex is declining, but their desire or their ability to get aroused and and you know uh, complete a sexual experience with an actual person is is diminishing. And a lot of these young men are going, "What's going on?" And they're flooding forums and asking questions. So this is a, something that is very current, very much a real thing. And as I travel to university campuses all over the United States. We see this coming up again and again as young people come talk to us and say, this is me. I don't know what's going on. And so it's really fascinating how much pornography is actually impacting our, our very core and basic ability to connect and love one another. It's, it, it, it's funny because the message that they almost want to portray is that it promotes the relationships. And anybody that does, you know, doesn't watch porn or doesn't think they should watch porn is like anti, you know, you know, love or anti-sex. And we say quite the opposite. Uh, you know, quitting porn could be possibly the most pro-sex thing you ever do. How does one identify a porn addiction? Yeah, so that's not easy because with other challenges, with other um, addictions, you, your eyes might be dilated. You might smell a particular scent or you might not be able to walk in a straight line. So um, you know, with other types of addictions, they're very, they, they, they manifest very much physically. And when we said that, that pornography is impacting the brain very similar to other drugs, we meant in the brain. Uh, physically, of course, you know, with heroin and cocaine and meth, and those have very physical and neurological impacts. And pornography is much more uh, on that compulsive part, much like a gambling uh, addiction would be, um, and, and the research that validates those behavioral and process addictions. So, so how do you recognize uh, these process and uh, addictions? Uh, and there's several out there. It's not always easy, um, and uh, there there are uh, you know questionnaires that, that can be asked. The ICD-10, so 
um, that's a, an international uh, diagnostic uh, institution similar to the um, similar to the, um, the one we have in the United States. Um, that that is uh, they, they list out a series of questions that uh, individuals can take to kind of question to see whether where their compulsion lines. But but I think it's important before we even get there to recognize that we oftentimes overuse the term addiction in our society about a number of things. Uh, we're addicted to chocolate. We're addicted to exercise. We're addicted to pornography. We're addicted to heroin. Like to put all those into the same camp is a little misleading of course and we don't mm-hmm. mean it in the full context it's not clinically addicted in many cases but with pornography it's, it's unhealthy to look at it like an on-off switch um to say like i am or i'm not you know where's that line to see if i'm like just below that line oh phew i'm not addicted let me continue this pattern well we need to look at it more like it's more like a dimmer switch it's it's a gradient of, of a compulsion and whether you disagree uh, that, that this can be an addiction or not, it, it, in some ways, I think that's semantics. It's, it's you know, there are clear, we, we, have, uh, we have spoken with and gotten message from literally hundreds of thousands from all across the world talking about their inability to stop. So, you know, call it what we will. And there's a lot of research that validates that it is an actual addiction. But nonetheless, let's call it a compulsion. It's more on a spectrum. And, and so regardless if you're way over here in totally out of control compulsion or you're way down here in this kind of habitual, like, you know, there's a draw and there's a pull, but, but there's somewhat some control still. It doesn't matter where you are on that, on that spectrum. The, the reality is kind of like wanting to get away from anything controlling us and controlling our behaviors and patterns. And so um, recognizing when that kind of takes over and when that kind of uh, releases, are we using pornography to cope? With with uh, with you know uh, challenges or stresses uh, that that we have in our life, do we we often you know go to it uh, in the moments of, of weakness and moments of um, of needing a, an escape from reality and life? Uh, it's, there's a number of things that you can ask. I, I'm happy to provide a, a more comprehensive list. But uh, individuals that are working that have children or have a spouse. Um, it's not a bad idea to, to, to have conver- open and non-judgmental conversations about this and, and, and see uh, how, how we can help and, and recognize mm-hmm. those slight differences and shifts and attitudes and, and slight differences and shifts in behaviors and, and how one behaves over time and, and recognizing some of those things. We have something super exciting to share with you. Our love personality quiz is released this week and you can find it at loveintently.com or by texting love to 33222, which will text you the link directly. We created this love personality quiz because it helps build self-awareness, but also empathy and understanding of your partner. And at the end of the quiz, if you enter your information, we'll send you love tips based on your love personalities a couple times a week. It's all completely free right now, and it's our gift to you. And of course, you can opt out whenever. And again, you can find it at loveintently.com or by texting LOVE to 33222. Thanks so much for spending time with us. Your time is so precious, and we'd love to hear your feedback. So let us know what you think. Yeah, I would love to ask you about what are some practical ways people can overcome porn or sex addiction once they recognize it? Okay, um, so there are a lot of things one can do, but let me kind of distill it down. Um, first of all, uh, if somebody recognizes that they are having a struggle, there are tools that they can uh, that they can go and get the help because the more we know about this issue, the more we know that this is not easily something that you can do on your own, white knuckling it, rarely, rarely, if ever works, it is something that often requires uh, at least social support, if not professional help. And so there are tools, there are affordable and easily accessible tools now, more now than ever before. So if somebody is struggling, get the help, get the accountability, get the support that you need. Um, and for those that are on the other side of that fence, respond with love and support and encouragement, not judgment and shame. That this is, you know, we've got to recognize that this is an issue that is addressing, uh, you know, to us today, unlike any other time in history. We've got to come together 
and be supportive and help people just like we would with other types of addictions and not shun them like we often do with this issue. But coming back to what, what one can do to overcome this, you know, one of my favorite quotes in the world is by a man uh, named Dan Millen. And he said that, that the secret of change is, not, is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. And uh, so often when we look at overcoming any behavior pattern, we focus um, on that thing. Like, I need to overcome this. And you, you, you fixate it and, it and it controls you and you, you ruminate over it and, it's, and it. and it really becomes this dictator on its own. And it really can be uh, quite devastating. It can work for some, but oftentimes it, it, it kind of can sometimes do the reverse effect. Um, one, so going back to that quote, building the new is the secret to change. So we focus oftentimes when we're helping people within our, we have a, a program called Fortify, joinfortify.com. What we have found in the over 100,000 people that have gone through this program is that as we kind of expand this into more of a holistic looking uh, observation of one's life and looking at all the risk factors or, or contributing factors to, to, this, uh, to this issue, um, we, we look at uh, sleeping and, and exercise and nutrition when we look at uh, um, past challenges and stress and whatnot, and as we look at those contributing factors, and there are about uh, eight uh, core ones that we, we look at, and we improve those categories. Study after study have shown, and our own research shows this too, that your capacity to overcome challenges, whatever they may be, increases tenfold. And so when we, when we take somebody on and say, okay, let's, let's work on this, we actually kind of take them down a path that they didn't expect. We say, well, let's, let's look at how you're doing in all of these other categories and say, well, what is that? What does my eating habits have to do with my pornography? What are my sleeping patterns? What does exercise have to do with? What does my relationship, you know, my quality of my relationships have to do with all these things? And we say, actually, it has an enormous amount to do with you being able to overcome pornography. We still want to track and we still want to measure these things over here, but let's focus on these other areas and we'll have more impact on your on, on you overcoming pornography than, uh, than a, a, a program fixated on, on addressing the issue alone. Um, so that's a broad thing, but as far as practicality, that's more of a kind of a message as a whole. So looking at those risk factors and addressing them so that you have less vulnerabilities. Um, but uh, as far as practicality, there is an enormous movement for a more mindful and conscious approach to overcoming challenges, whatever they may be, addiction, uh, or other type of stresses. Um, we use a strategy called STAR that we came up with. And STAR stands for, uh, and so this is what you would do in the event of an urge, in the event of a moment where you feel pulled by the current of this struggle or this compulsion or this addiction, right? And so you're being pulled in. And what we, what we tell them is that, uh, what we tell the people we work with is that, okay, let's, let's use this tool called STAR. Star, the S for star stands for step back and observe, step back, take a, take a moment. And, and the T is take a few conscious breaths. So step back, take a few conscious breaths, ask yourself what you really want in life, what your life vision is and, what, and how this moment kind of uh, relates to that. And then respond in a healthy way. So that star, so S-T-A-R, is, is essentially a tool, a catchy tool that you can use to slow down the decision-making process. And there are science behind why slowing down a decision-making process, why you don't just kind of go in the autopilot mode, can actually give you a level of awareness, a cognitive understanding of what's actually happening. And it gives you kind of, gives you the hands on the steering wheel again to let you make the decisions that, that are gonna uh, be best for you and, your, and, and, and what you want in your life. So uh, a, a quick little, I just threw that in there. There are several others we could talk about, but STAR, Step back and observe, ask yourself, take a few conscious breaths, ask yourself what you really want and respond in a healthy way. That uh, can be a very powerful tool in any sort of uh, uh, urge moment or challenge that you might face. Mm, yeah, that's so powerful. So for the listeners who maybe have a partner they know is addicted to porn or is watching pornography, what are some some ways that they can approach that scenario in more love or like, what are some things that you would tell them on how they can confront this partner on, um, 
on, in a way to do it in a non-shaming way? Yeah. I love that question. Um, if your partner is viewing pornography, it does not by itself mean run for the hills. It does not mean that they're a bad person. It does not mean that your relationship can never be uh, healthy and wonderful and full and rich and vibrant. Um, that is, I, I want to make sure I put all that out because sometimes around this issue, um, uh, people can get a little hysterical or, or, or um, or, or respond in ways that really kind of drive uh, uh, additional challenges. Pornography viewing by itself does not mean those things. It can, but it does not by itself mean automatically those things. Uh, so it means that you still can have a good relationship. You can get over this. Healing and recovery is possible and it's real. And that uh, depending on how we react and, and treat this, that uh, success is possible. So. First, we'd say that uh, as, as the partner, uh, that you have the right, absolutely, you have the right to, to, to um, this is your business. It's not, not your business. It's your business to, to be able to talk about this, to be able to have a conversation, an honest one, again, non-judgmental. And so to ask a simple question like, hey, when was the last time? Not if, not have you, but when was the last time? And, and if they feel safe, if that, if that conversation has been set up to be a safe and non-judgmental way, they, they, they will likely and oftentimes will be honest and say, uh, last night or two years ago or whatever it might be. And that will give you the ability, you start to step, you know, don't react harshly, to, to kind of sit there and go, okay, well, I just want to let you know my feelings about this. As I've researched this and I understand this, it, I feel like this this can really impact us, and this is the evidence for that. And, and I, I feel like it, uh, it, it doesn't really fit into a really healthy, uh, committed relationship. It, it really can really um, impact that. And, and then and then use you know uh, education and awareness to help them kind of catch up with you on that, uh, to help them understand that it's not just your opinion or that you're not just being approved. And then you can have a really honest conversation. And, and oftentimes individuals say, I agree, this is not something I, I, I you know, I, this is hard. And in that moment, if their desire is to, to also distance themselves from this, I, I hope that, um, that uh, many would respond with, okay, I, I got your back. We can do this together. Separating them from their uh, struggle or addiction so that it's not, that they are not the problem, that this issue is the problem, and that together they can address any challenge, whether it's a pornography addiction or financial challenges or relational issues of any other kind. Look, we're in this together, and, I, and, and, and we're committed to this, and this has been proven to impact relationships, and we want to we wanna kind of uh, tackle this together, and I've got you. Um, so if that's the kind of the narrative and the, the, the kind of positioning of uh, a partner, Oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe the world of a difference that that makes for that, that person struggling to say, holy cow, I thought that if you found out or if it, I thought that, it, that uh, you, know, you wouldn't love me anymore, or that I wasn't worthy of love or whatever it may be. And to kind of come back and say, no, we, we can do this together is, is a really powerful uh, and beautiful message. And if the individual says, no, I love this, this is part of me and you got to accept me. That's a challenge, and you've got to make that decision. It's not, it's not a run for the hills, but it's, it's something that you have to make your own call on and say, look, um, am I okay with this in my relationship, knowing what it, might, uh, what it can lead to and what it can contribute to? Am I okay? And if I'm not, um, they need to know where you stand on that. And, they, and, and if, if you're truly committed to each other, um, uh, adjustments will be made. But I, I, you know, I can't emphasize enough just this response uh in a loving and safe way and then non-judgmental recognize that they're growing up in a time where they're living in a time that is unlike any other time in history and uh it's a shock when i hear of people that haven't or don't struggle with this this is something that is impacting so many and so many mm -hmm. relationships yeah absolutely when do you think it's healthy like when, at what stage of your relationship do you think it's healthy to bring this up? And um, yeah, what would you advise there? Is it dating? How many dates in? Or is it more of something you would talk about in engaged or marriage? Oh, oh I, I would absolutely bring it up in dating. Do not wait until <laughs> you're engaged or married. 
uh, I can't, I could tell you just too many stories where that has been um, uh, just a slap in the face, shock and challenge. And, and sometimes it has led to the destruction of that relationship. Uh, have that conversation in dating. Don't do it on the first date. Uh, don't do it on the first date. But as soon as you start to like uh, hint towards or even kind of get to the point where you are um, uh, serious, uh, whether that means exclusivity or whether that means uh, you're um, you know, starting to get physical in a way that this is something that you care to know, uh, again, ask in a very non-confrontational way, like, hey, when was the last time? And and what are your thoughts on that? And, how, you know, is there anything I can do to help? And um, and this is what I expect. And these are my expectations. And are you okay with that? And and I think that kind of an approach uh, we have seen, it's not I think, but we have seen that kind of an approach um, really set the tone in a, in, a, in a loving and powerful way early on. So And it sets the relationship up for long-term success. They may be struggling heavily at the time, at that very moment. But that, uh, but individuals that kind of take that approach early on, we, we have seen um, uh, have very powerful uh, uh, relationships long term. Mm-hmm. I, I, I also want to make sure I mention this: um, if you, this is a two way street. You don't have, if they are struggling, and that's just too much for you to deal with. If you're if they're struggling and they're dealing with this, and it's and it's, and you're not in an emotional state where you you can do this, you're not a bad person for needing to step back. Um, you're not a bad person for, for you're not, uh, I don't want to send a message that like, you know, the, the good ones are the ones that stay and the bad ones are the ones that leave. Look, that's a, that's a, such a personal uh, decision in marriage, in dating, whether you stay or whether you, you move on in that relationship. That's a, such a personal thing. And it depends so much on where you are, where they are and what the, what the intent is in the relationship. And so um, whatever feels right for you, I just want to send a message that, um, you don't have to run. That that hope is uh, there is hope, and that uh, these people uh, oftentimes don't want to be struggling, and they need help. And if we respond the right way, uh, it can that those relationships can heal. So, um, yeah. Do you believe that ethical porn can exist? Yeah. So, like uh, you know, nonviolent porn or whatnot. So, let's talk about that because that comes up a lot. If we could get rid of all degrading, all violent uh, pornography, uh, is it safe, particularly among adults? Let's not even address like access to minors, but like among adults, is that okay? Well, um, there's definitely degrees of harm. Okay, so you know, of course, like we're, we're, there are more extreme versions that can really impact one's life and, and individual relationships and all that, and, and then there are lesser. However. Studies are showing, and I'll just mention it, so I'm not really going to make a decision on whether uh, yeah, yay or nay, but I will say that there are studies that show that individuals who view uh, regularly sexual activity, whether it's violent or nonviolent, still has an impact on that individual's sexual arousal template, on how they view uh, their, their satisfaction with their, their own partner and, how, uh, and, 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 and their desire for you know, that more frequently and more, more extreme, more often, um, more extreme versions just to feel normal. So there is still a, a, a potential risk for uh, compulsion and, and, and addiction, even to nonviolent content, still a risk. Um, and there is still can impact one's view on, on others around them and, and how they view uh, um, their, their spouse, their partner, or their colleagues and friends. So it still ha- has an impact. So I would say that for me, and I'm going to say this for me, um, it's, it's, for me, the healthy version is, is to get, uh, not have pornography in my life. Our, my campaign and my organization, we're not out there to, to uh, get rid of pornography. We're out there to uh, increase awareness and, and uh, re- education uh, so that people make their own decisions. So limit the supply. Uh, so we're not out there to limit the supply. We're out there to decrease demand through education. So for me, I've made the decision that it's, it's not healthy for me and my relationships uh, in any form. But uh, that's a personal decision for, for people to make. Um, I'm just looking at the research, and uh, all the research combined kind of leads me to that decision. Mm-hmm. Does Fight the New Drug provide resources to help couples rebuild that intimacy after they are recovering from, one partner is recovering from a porn addiction, or maybe both partners are? Um, do you guys provide resources for that, or are there resources you would point them towards? Yeah, so um, Fight the New Drug, so, so we have... 
an organization that is is a kind of a sister company with with fighting drug called uh, Fortify, and Fortify helps individuals that are struggling. And in that program, it definitely helps um, kind of rebuild oneself and one's ability to kind of uh, um, deal and have more healthy relationships. And that's found at joinfortify.com. And there's also an app that's associated with that. But that's more for the individual. For the partner that might be struggling themselves, um, we, we recommend a, a company and a, a website called Bloom. So it's bloomforwomen.com. And that's for individuals that are struggling with the betrayal of this. Studies are showing that uh, women that go through this, uh, and men, but mostly women that go through this, can actually experience levels of PTSD or, or uh, actual trauma. And they actually require their own healing. So often we're focused on the, the addict's healing and, and expecting the, the other person, the partner, to just kind of like go along. When in fact, oftentimes they need their own healing. And it's very different, that healing. And so uh, Bloom for Women is a, is a website uh, that, that focuses on that. And we recommend that. Um, there are other kind of um, organizations uh, that, that promote love. Yours is one that, that promote love and help people kind of strengthen love. And we love that too. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, I mean, all of those are very powerful tools and you can use all of them or one of them or whatever works for you. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So where do you hope to be in the next five to 10 years for fight with fight the new drug? Give us a little vision there. Well, you know, we are all about raising awareness in any form and we want to impact young people as our primary audience. We want to impact them before it becomes devastating. One of the reasons I got into this and started this is because, and I didn't mention this earlier, is my own cousin struggled with an addiction to pornography so severe that it led him to actions that were inappropriate, illegal, and he went to prison. And it was a, a, a shockwave in my family. It was really difficult. And I wanted to help people avoid those major, major pitfalls, whether, whether prison is the extreme, but, but even relationship challenges and, and, uh, and individual challenges in one's life. So we want to get it young. We want to help them understand it because exposure to pornography is happening uh, at, uh, you know, some studies are showing as young as nine, average age of exposure is nine years old. Meaning that's wow. the average. I mean, there are younger. We, we've received emails from eight-year-olds saying that they can't stop and they need help. And this was un, uh, unbeknownst to their parents. Their parents didn't even know. Eight years old. Um, and, and not just one, but many. And, and of course, we have many... Uh, uh, you know, as they get older, like this is an epidemic as people have unfettered, unfiltered access to the most hardcore and extreme content on the planet at a click of a button at any time. It is unlike any other time in history. And uh, we, we have to be blind to the, to the idea that everything's okay and fine. What are we making such a big deal about? This is something that is having and wreaking major uh, uh, havoc on, uh, you know, all, on all of us. And the tidal wave of harm that I referred to earlier hasn't yet reached our shores. This generation rising up today is dealing with it like no other time. And so, so I am passionate about it. And when I see in five years, we are scratching the surface. We do thousands of presentations to schools and universities around the world. Where we're, Right now, we're releasing a documentary series that we're going to hopefully expand that will go beyond because it's a lot, we can scale that a lot easier than that message. And we want to raise awareness. We want to not only have a grassroots movement, which was we have been for, for the last 10 years, but we want to expand it to, to, to institutionalize curriculum and school systems and other organizations and um, so that we can, again, uh, just be more healthy as a world uh, on this topic. Mm, yeah. Wow. That eight or nine years old, that completely baffles me because I can't even imagine the impacts on your brain that must have. Oh, yeah. And, and those are, those are developing minds, right? Those are, those are, those are uh, underdeveloped minds. And so it has an even more profound impact the earlier you're exposed. Um, and as they age, it's, uh, it's, it's a big deal. Wow. Okay. So where can people find you and support you? Well, so we have a website called fightthenewdrug.org. You can go to that website and learn, get the facts, learn all about uh, the, the issue and the research. You can also uh, you know, get resources uh, through that website. Uh, we have a number of different things. I won't even get, get all of it, but uh, we're obviously on all the social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, all of the above. So find us, be a part of it, change the conversation, join the movement and fight for real life.
Yes, absolutely. Okay. Before we move on to the last two questions, I just want to take a minute to acknowledge you for doing the work that you do because it's so important. I know there's probably hundreds of other jobs that you could have taken during or after college that would have made you way more money. Um, but you decided to really fight for something that you believed in and you're impacting hundreds of thousands of people now and changing the conversation for us. So I just want to thank you, Clay, for, for doing that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I've, I loved uh, being on here and I, I wish you guys all the best and we'll be supporting you guys for a long time. Thank you. Okay. So, um, uh, my next question is what is the best relationship advice you have ever heard or have been given or have ever received? Oof. Let's see. That's, wow. That's really difficult. I've, I've, I have heard and received a lot of relationship advice over the years. My dad told me when I was getting married, he said, uh, here's the best advice uh, I could ever give you. And he said, she's always right. And I, <laughs> I go, okay. I, I don't know if that's like, that's, uh, you know, that's not necessarily the best, uh, you know, actual advice. I, it's, it's, I think it's great advice that I could give that, uh, that I have heard from others that I think has been a really big influence in my relationship is um, you can uh, never underestimate the power of gratitude. Um, say thank you. Uh, leave notes. Uh, you can be cute about it or you can be direct about it. Just, just be grateful for this person in your life that um, is uh, doing so much for you. Uh, hopefully you're doing a lot for them too, but they are doing so much for you uh, and they're making your life so much better. Without them, it would be much, much worse. And let them know that. Be grateful. It'll, it'll change. It'll change an entire relationship. The more gratitude you can express and, and share with that individual, it, it, it changes uh, immediate conversations. It changes moods in a, in a moment, and it changes the landscape of a relationship. So don't, uh, you can't underestimate the power of gratitude. Mm, that is really powerful and beautiful. Okay, last question. What does love intently or love mean to you? <sighs> love is focus. Um, I think that when you love, truly love someone, you focus on them. And, uh, oftentimes when we, sh uh, divert our focus away from that individual is, is, is when that love starts to, to wane and, and suffer. And, um, uh, there's a lot of more poetic and beautiful, uh, ways to describe love, love as giving, love as service, love as all those things. And those are all true. But I think one of the most powerful uh, descriptors of love for me is, is a simple word, and that's uh, focus. Um, giving our, our partners time and attention um, is, is focus. And pornography, and this is, again, something I uh, deal with daily uh, with, with the work that I do, but pornography, as, as well as other things, has been shown, proven, scientifically shown, to divert focus away. So, uh, for me, love is focus. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you, Clay. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening and spending time with us today. We are by no means pushing an agenda of whether you keep porn in or out of your relationship. I am simply committed to having honest, intentional conversations about the things that get in the way of love and also foster love. But ultimately, the decision is yours, and we're here to serve you by empowering you to have a thriving relationship the best that we can. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Take a screenshot, post on your stories, post on your Instagram, tag us, and follow us if you haven't already. We would just love to continue the conversation and hear what you love or what you're struggling with or what you love us to touch base on. So if you follow me personally at Sophie underscore clock on Instagram, you know that my word for the year has been secure. And it's been all about my personal journey of moving from an attachment style of avoidant to a secure attachment style. 
We've talked about the attachment style a few times here with our advisor, Dr. Lisa Neff, if you haven't listened to that episode, but also um, with other relationship experts on this very podcast. And if you're curious to what your type is, we actually break it down in our love personality assessment because it's a big part of your love personality. If you and your partner have completely opposite attachment styles, that is going to be a continual point of pain between the two of you unless you're aware of it and can consciously choose to love each other through that space rather than pouring fire or alcohol on each other's wounds. So all that to say is definitely check out our love personality assessment at loveintently.com or texting love to 33222. We love you friends. Thank you so much. Until next time with love and intention.